Hello listeners and welcome to the Anna O podcast. This podcast delves into the shocking details behind the Anna O case and the real life cases that inspired the story, the must read thriller of 2024. In our first episode, you will have met Matthew Blake, our author behind the sensational story of Anna O. And we had a fascinating conversation about the real life crimes and sleeping cases that inspired his book. Today, Matthew and I are going to be delving a little deeper into his inspiration and creation of Anna Ogilvie. Please note, we will be discussing the book, but this episode will remain spoiler-free. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Can you tell us how Anna O started for you? Where did this project arise? When did you have that little spark that said, oh, there's a book there? I wanted to write a thriller that had a universal theme at the centre of it. I thought that would be all the great thrillers I've enjoyed play on some sort of universal theme. And I was trying to think around what is a thing that everyone, every possible reader does. And um, sleep seemed like a very good one, really. It's it's all eight billion people on Earth have it in common. It's I came across this amazing statistic that it... We spend about 33 years of our lives asleep. So um, I thought if you could do something with sleep, that would have a, people would be interested in that. I, you know, that would resonate with people. It's a fear people have. It's an experience they have. So I sort of had that in my mind for quite quite a while, but qu- I didn't quite know what my angle on it would be. And then that's when I then discovered two things, really. The first was what people do when they're sleepwalking. All these amazing stories about people who get up in the middle of the night and go for 40 mile drives and then come home, get undressed, go to bed in the morning. They have no idea they've done any of it. And the idea that your brain might be asleep, but your eyes would be open. So to everyone else, you would look awake, but actually you're not, you're still asleep. You know, as a mystery writer, I'm always looking for things that are mysterious and that's got a inherent mystery to it because how can you, how can your eyes be open yet you're still asleep? Um, mm-hmm. And how would you ever know if the person you're seeing and what they're doing, whether they're awake or asleep? So I thought, well, that's got a good angle to it. And I came across lots of cases, real life legal cases of people who'd killed other people and claimed they were sleepwalking when they killed them. And how almost impossible it is for a jury to decide whether that's true or not, because unless you, you know, how can you ever decide? And then the second thing was when I discovered resignation syndrome, which is the real life deep sleep, the people who fall into sleep for four or five years on end, you simply can't wake them up. And I mean, that was just even more mysterious and even more of a mystery illness. You're so right about sleep. It feels like I've definitely heard that statistic before about 33% of our lives asleep. And I think that that's what convinced me to buy my fancy pants mattress. Because right. I was like, if I'm going to spend that much time asleep, I, I better yeah. do it on the best mattress. Yeah. 33 years. Oh, my gosh. So that astonished me. It, it's obviously people sleep, you know, not everyone's the same. But on average, that's the amount of times we spend in bed and, and sleeping. So it is astonishing. It's a whole other life, really. I mean, effectively, you could, you know, you could live to 66 that 33 years would be half of that time simply spent asleep. So that really did astonish me. Yeah, it's wild. And really, when you think about it, in terms of like the average Joe, I don't know how much the average person knows about sleep. It feels a bit like the the deep ocean, the deep sea. You know, we think we know, but do we know? Do we actually know what is going on there? What's capable? What are people capable of 
And one of the things I loved about Anna O is that it is so obviously well researched and we get to go down so many rabbit holes of research with various characters that I feel like I'm learning all of this wild, wild stuff. That again came from all the thrillers that I most enjoy. I think the great thing about mysteries and thrillers is that they're probing into people's darkest fears and they take reality and sort of show it anew to an audience and the thing I really came across when I was writing the book is that reality is always more surprising than anything you can make up so I did an English degree I've written speeches in parliament I have a certain sphere of knowledge but I didn't before this have any great insight into functional neurological disorders or sleep psychology and when you probe into it instead of me sitting here trying to invent that what you find out is is just way 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 more interesting and far more scary to be quite frank and unbelievable I mean even the idea that of a mythic deep sleep coming true and the idea that's a real thing real people suffer from it no one quite knows what causes it or how to wake people up that's that is far beyond what any novelist could imagine it feels like fnds are just the tip of the iceberg as well it feels like there is so much going on did you ever feel overwhelmed with your research because there are so many different facets and pockets of thought that's certainly true and the next book I'm working on at the moment which is about memory and false memory and that's if it was possible there's even more out there on memory than there is on sleep so yeah I mean it is possible to sort of get completely overwhelmed by it but that in some ways was what made it such rich territory because you could just pick the most interesting bits and put it all together and you sort of never ran out of material there so it was you know the most interesting cases the people who woke up 20 years later and were still convinced it was 1984 or something or mm-hmm. you know there was just so much there that you could just pick the most fascinating stories and and incorporate them into the tale you've managed to show off such a breadth of knowledge on this scope whilst also lead the readers down the the path that is the, the story that you want to tell yes. it's, it's very yeah. it feels like expertly done so before writing Anna O according to my research so this is you know I found yeah. it on the internet so it must be true it must be true yeah you were a parliamentary speech writer having studied English at Durham University so let's go back in time and yeah. relive the journey for me how did we get to where we are today Oh, well, a long and winding road, to quote Paul McCartney. Yeah, you know, I, so I was a speechwriter for my sins in Parliament, something you can only admit to within, you know, certain company or you get sort of stared at. But that was great fun, though. It was, it was great training as a writer. I often liken it to being a news journalist where you're really schooled in meeting deadlines and writing succinctly and, you know, not boring people. I found it very useful, really. It was a, it's a whirlwind thing. It's Publishing has very long timelines, so you can be waiting two years for a book to come out, whereas politics, two hours is quite a long timeline. So it's good to get used to doing things at speed, I think. And I did it coming out of university. It was amazing training. You got to meet all sorts of interesting people, and I'd heartily recommend it to uh, any wannabe writers out there. God, what a gear shift that must be. You're so right on that timeline, moving from we need something written for the five o'clock news to your book comes out in two and a half years. I still do a bit of it sort of freelance just because it's nice to have the two time 
shifts and when you're working on a long project to then go and do a short project good fun so it's also really useful to write in different views you know write Keats had the idea of negative capability where you can hold two conflicting thoughts at once and I think that's the essence of all drama all all great fiction so training yourself to see things from both angles I think is a great skill and when you're as I did quite a bit doing speechwriter for hire so you're writing for different clients then then you you learn that skill you learn how to see things from from different perspectives and that really has helped in my in my fiction writing so the one thing is that I'm very cautious about talking too much about the book because I yeah. feel like when you yeah. read it I almost want people to go in blind because that's yeah. the best way to consume it so I'm not going to talk about Anna but I would love to talk about Ben Yes. Ben is my favourite character from the book. I feel like I loved him. I was frustrated by him on every single page. So let's talk about Ben and how you created him. Presumably, you know that you're tackling a sleep psychology. So you know you need a psychologist. I wanted it all to be based in real life material. I sort of then went and did all the research, found these sleep clinics in Harley Street that exist treat obviously you know lots of people have sleep disorders so they would go to a sleep clinic obviously the sleep clinics in harley street tend to cater for quite high net worth clients so you know people who it might be famous people might be singers footballers politicians business people who've, who've got sleeping problems and so that's where the idea of the abbey came to me and i thought well that's again i didn't have to invent it it's all there that would be a great and interesting precinct for it. And then Ben is the character as the main sleep psychologist. So he's a forensic psychologist. He's a criminal psychologist who specialises in sleep-related crimes. And I'd done quite a bit of research on forensic psychology. And some, you know, people will know that from Netflix series like Mindhunter or for all the viewers or listeners, Cracker. It was the Robbie Coltrane series was was sort of pioneering on that and there's been a lot of books there and the behavioral science unit at the FBI and so that that's been quite well documented and I've done a lot on that but I'd never seen anything which sort of applied that to sleep and all the things that can happen while you're sleeping so that's where Ben came across really he was he's got a sort of academic side to him so he teaches at Birkbeck in London but he also works for the the Abbey Sleep Clinic so he's got a sort of academic hat he's got a clinician's hat he is very medical obviously but he's got a sort of very broad hinterland as well he's interested in in sleep and the history of sleep and the mind and Freud and all these sorts of things so it was that was what made him really interesting to me is that he's got a broad look at it and he can sort of view the Anna O case as both a sort of cultural phenomenon but also a psychological phenomenon and a medical phenomenon so he's the perfect person for the job really. No I agreed and I think what I love about Ben is that he does have this perfect balance of being the doctor, being a forensic psychologist, being the kind of expert on sleep to handle the Anna O case whilst also being just a man with yeah. a wife and kids and responsibilities and things that he needs to do in day-to-day -day life and I love also that he loves films yes he's yeah, forever referencing <laughs> Hitchcock films here there and everywhere that must be something that comes from you are you a massive Hitchcock fan I'd say my two big inspirations the two sort of you could argue the sort of great British 
exports to the world in this genre are Agatha Christie and Alfred Hitchcock. They're both both iconic, both, you know, Agatha Christie's books are all still take up a whole shelf of the bookshop. Alfred Hitchcock, probably still the most famous thriller director who's ever been. Yeah, I mean, as a as a British writer, you sort of look at those two and just think, gosh, they're they're the pinnacle, really. It, it's and they have been for as long as I have been interested in in writing, really. So I've I watched their you know, watch the Hitchcock films, I read the Agatha books, and that's what gives me, gives me the inspiration. Particularly, I think, um, obviously with Anna Rowe, you've got that sort of mystery whodunit element, but I think it's particularly the sort of shocking twists, the, the emotional reaction. That's what, if you think of Alfred Hitchcock in something like Psycho or Agatha Christie and the murder of Roger Ackroyd or Death on the Nile or Murder on the Orient Express or and then there were none. Her, you know, she specialised in breaking the rules and in not abiding by convention. You know, so so bringing those twists that caused outrage, that caused her to be sort of people to try and get her banished from the detection club or. That and they're still quite shocking now. They're still sort of rule breaking now. So, you know, Hitchcock. Hitchcock the same. So I've always, ever since watching those films or reading those books, wanted to write something which might have the same impact on a reader. I want I want you to get to the end of this book and either fall off your chair or fling the book across the room or rant and rave or talk about it. Just react. Or all of the above at different increments throughout <laughs> the novel. <laughs> yes, yes, ideally. So, um, yeah, that was where that inspiration came from. Okay, so confession, I've never watched a Hitchcock film. And oh, it sounds like but it's fine. By <laughs> by the end of us finishing recording these podcasts, I will promise that I will have watched more than one. So where do I start? What's the one that I should start with? Well, I mean, the most famous obviously is Psycho. Though so, and I think, you know, that's that is a good place to start. It it's again that breaks all the rules. The main character dies a third of the way through, which is a complete shock. You have this outrageous twist at the end which is sort of completely mind-blowing so yeah I'd start there that that certainly was a huge inspiration to me you know probably the most iconic thriller film still still now I don't think anyone's ever ever topped it the music is just phenomenal so I start there but then I also I mean there's other ones like uh, Strangers on a Train which I think you can't beat Rear Window and then I'd go all the way back I'm gonna show off my sort of Cinematic knowledge here. Cinematic knowledge here. Shameless name drop, but I would go back to The Lodger, which is his very first film in Britain, silent movie, and, and it's all about a sort of Jack the Ripper style. Okay. Uh, who moves in as a lodger. So if you want to see what cinema was like before the talkies and pure cinematic style, then that's that's hard to beat. Okay. All right. They're on the list. I'll make it happen. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit more about some of the more modern books that you've been loving. Obviously, Christie is the queen of crime. Yes. But who's really doing it for you now? Oh, gosh. Well, so many. I mean, we've been so lucky with the authors who sent the book out to how generous they've been. And I mean, one of the most amazing things was getting some of my absolute heroes to endorse it. So we've got Lee Child, Jeffrey Deaver, David Baldacki, Anita Prose. Just a few small names, yeah. you know, might have written one or so, two books between yeah, so, them. So they, that was just fantastic. I mean, all of those writers I absolutely adore. I mean, Harlan Coben's another one I love, the sort of very hook and hook and twist, you know, he gets you in with a sort of 
a very, very big, loud, noisy hook, and then he just keeps twisting it, and it's always great fun. So, yeah, I mean, then I love, you know, Ian Rankin, Val McDermott, and Peter James, mm-hmm. Linwood Barclay, all of them. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big mystery reader, Lisa Jewell, so I, I read all of them. That's a great recommendations list to start us off with. I think there are one or two books on that list that we get going on. Let's go back to Ben for a minute, because I think some of my favourite scenes with Ben, that he has some meetings with the Ministry of Justice in various coffee shops of large department stores. And having worked in central London and having worked on Oxford Street, I walked past those cafes on multiple, multiple occasions. So I really enjoyed the idea that these kind of super clandestine important meetings might be happening uh, right under my nose. Well, I mean, the thing is, if they're super clandestine, of course they all could because that, that person in a suit or this, you know, the slightly bad dress sense could well be someone very important in the Ministry of Justice. No, that was great fun. I really enjoyed that. I mean, again, there's a lot of Emily, who's Anna's mother in the book, is a as a former politician. Um, there's elements of Westminster. The Ministry of Justice obviously gives it a a, a big Westminster angle to it, in the sense that the Anna O case is so high profile and they're the ones who are in charge of it. So, yeah, I did draw on what I'd seen, what I knew. The Stephen Donnelly figure, who's the Ministry of Justice figure, is sort of based on, you know, people I encountered at that high level in those sorts of places. So um, it definitely fed into it. And, yeah, I, I think I can neither confirm nor deny that such meetings over scones take place. But it's all, it's all plausible. Which I think is just mind-blowing. Like, just to get really true crime nerdy for one second, I was listening to a podcast about the Alexander Litvinenko poisonings. And at one point, they, like, the Russians tried to poison him in an itsu on Oxford Street. And the amount of times that I have had lunch in that exact itsu on Oxford Street, like, the fact that things like the Ministry of Justice, the fact like things like spies and all of this, like, world conflict is happening in our daily lives but because we're busy getting our noodles and getting our coffee we just don't think about it but it's all happening and it's all right there yes well I think also what's happened is social media has sort of brought all that closer to everyone and that's partly what Anna Rowe explores a bit is that the case of Anna Rowe has become a sort Mm. of hashtag it's become a big global sensation that's simply driven by social media and and um, all the platforms and you know how true crime becomes sort of new form of celebrity so so I think yeah you have this sort of weird thing where it's in some ways we don't see it because it seems impossibly distant but then it's also impossibly close to home because it's you can follow all the sort of um, twists and turns of all these cases and I'm fascinated also particularly by the, the sort of amateur sleuths you know the TikTok sleuths and the mm. real cases tragic cases as many examples where people have started you know amateurs have descended on the crime scene and started trying to find things and the way in which that division between sort of law and order taking over the police sealing it off it being very much an official thing that barrier between that and the general public has sort of broken down a bit and um with Anna Rowe that's that's particularly the case you're so right especially with things like Netflix documentaries and the way that we consume Netflix documentaries as general population. I have lost track of the amount of times that I've watched 
a documentary and then I've said to one of my friends oh my god did you see so and so I enjoyed it so much yeah. and then I'm going hang on no wait is that am I can I say that am I should I be enjoying yeah this you know horrific depiction of this terrible terrible crime that's happened that I've just willingly invited into my living room yeah and I'm consuming for entertainment you're right along with the TikTok slews it is just a completely different way that we interact with crime now yes but I think actually it's it's nothing too revolutionary I think these things sort of come around in cycles so I mean I remember mm -hmm. when I was studying English often they're talking about the development of the novel and all these sort of Newgate ballads and stuff, the things people would mm. write near executions and, you know, they'd write true stories of highway robbers and all that sort of thing. So in a sense, that was just in print. Now we have it on streaming. But I think that ghoulish fascination with true crime has been there for forever, really. It's just there are different mediums through which we express it. And the, the podcast, Netflix... Thing is just particularly good for that but I think it, it's always been there I think. So to round up what do you want readers to know going into the book what should we expect? Oh well just be prepared to confront your deepest fears about the mystery of sleep and uh, you know don't bank on getting a good night's sleep while you're reading it and be prepared just I mean the main thing I always love about mysteries is the game with the reader. That's always the thing. When I was reading A Great Agatha Christie, it was always the sense that you were sort of playing to see if you could figure it out and she was trying to outwit you. And so, I mean, that that's the fun of me for, the, this, for me of this genre. And I hope that no reader will actually figure it all out. That there's enough twists. It's clever enough that just when you think you've absolutely got the answer, it just completely pulls the rug out from undies. Well, I second all of those. I would also add, be prepared to set aside some time for the research holes that you're going to fall down because you, you <laughs> yes. will fall down yeah. them. And Matthew and I will be sat at the bottom encouraging you down the rabbit hole with us. Yes, most definitely, yeah. yeah. All right, Matthew, thank you so much for joining us for our podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. As we come to the end of our third episode of the podcast, I hope that we have intrigued and excited you listeners. I've been so glad to be able to introduce you to Matthew, our wicked wordsmith, and give you a little more insight into the man behind the madness of Anna O. Oh. Stick around because in our next episodes, you'll be hearing from some creators who've been celebrating Anna O oh for the last few months and hearing directly from them whether our murdering mistress is guilty or innocent. If you'd like to be one of the first to get into this propulsive, powerful novel about a case of a young woman who commits murder in her sleep, then you can order Anna O oh now from the links in our show notes and in the transcripts, which are always available on our website, thetandemcollective.co.uk. Keep your eyes peeled on our podcast feed for any further updates and breaking news moments from the case of Anna O. Oh.